Well, if you have your Bibles with you, let me encourage you to turn with me to the book of Amos. Now, if you're new with us this morning, you're probably wondering why we always open up God's Word and study God's Word, and here's why. We believe that it's God's Word. We believe it tells us who we are. We believe it tells us who God is. We believe it tells us how we can know Him. And we believe it tells us how we can live for Him. And so that's why every week at Northside, we open up God's Word. Now, we're in a series on the Minor Prophets. The Minor Prophets are 12 short books at the end of the Old Testament. These books were written by prophets. Prophets were men who spoke for God, and oftentimes they spoke through God to deliver a message about the future. Now, this particular book was written by a man named Amos. Amos means burden bearer. God had given Amos a burden concerning the people of God and the judgment of God. And this burden was so great on Amos' heart and, and on his mind that he had to share it. Now, you need to understand something about Amos. He was just a blue-collar guy. He was a shepherd who had a part-time job tending a sycamore tree field so he could earn some extra money. We are told in chapter 7 that, that Amos didn't have a formal education. He wasn't what you would call a professional prophet. He was simply called by God to leave his flock and proclaim God's word. This reminds us of a truth that we see throughout Scripture over and over again. It reminds us that God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. And no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, whatever your education may be, if God calls you to do something, he will equip you to do it. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, what is it that God is calling each and every one of us to do? Because here's what I know. If you are a child of God, God has called you to do something. God has called you to accomplish something for his glory and his honor. And you may be here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I, I could never do that. I could never accomplish that. I could never be that. But you need to understand that if God has called you, God will equip you. Now, Amos prophesied during the time of the divided kingdom. If you know something about Israel's history, Israel became a kingdom under Saul and and then it continued under David, and it continued under Solomon. But at Solomon's death, the nation plunged into a civil war. And the northern kingdom, Israel, separated from the southern kingdom, Judah. And so for 160 years, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were bickering and quarreling and fighting with one another. And Amos was called to deliver God's message during this time. Now, Amos was from Judah. He was from the southern kingdom. And yet he was called to deliver a message to Israel, the northern kingdom. And so think about that for just a moment. Think about going back to the Civil War and having a rebel preacher traveling to Washington to deliver a message to those Yankees. Think how that would go over. It wouldn't go over very well, would it? Or think about it this way. 
Think about the Clemson football coaches coming into Columbia and heading over to Williams Bryce, meeting with the football players from Carolina, saying, here's why you have had such a bad two seasons. Listen to us and learn. Well, regardless of whether they had something good to say or not, it probably would not go over well, would it? And so that's how Amos was called to deliver his message. We're told that he ministered during the time of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Uzziah was a good king, a godly king. And, and yet, because he became successful and prosperous, he became proud. And the Bible says because of this pride, God struck him down with leprosy and he lived in his palace from that point on. If you remember, it was during the death of Uzziah that Isaiah was called to be a prophet in Isaiah chapter 6. And so Uzziah was the prophet or the, um, the king of, of Judah. Jeroboam II was the king of Israel. Now Jeroboam was just a plain out wicked king. He was evil through and through. And Amos was called to deliver a message when Jeroboam, this wicked evil king, was on the throne in in Israel. Now you need to understand that it was a time of prosperity. It was a time of peace during Israel. Wealth abounded. Many of the people were living in luxury, enjoying life. So when Amos came into Israel and began to deliver a message about a coming financial disaster and military destruction, what he said seemed utterly unrealistic. So the people didn't believe it. They thought he was crazy. They thought he was foolish. And yet, that was the message that God gave him to deliver. Now, as we unpack these eight chapters this morning, there are three clear things that we see as we walk through this book. The first thing is we see that charges are made. Listen to what it says in Amos chapter 2, verse 6. It says, this is what the Lord says. The people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. Now, to understand, Amos didn't begin his message by condemning Israel. He began by proclaiming God's judgment on six surrounding nations that the Israelites would have hated. And each time he used that phrase, the people have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. Literally, what that is saying is this. They have sinned three times, and they have even sinned four times. Now, when the people sin once, they deserve God's judgment. But the Bible says that God is patient. God is long-suffering, not wanting to bring judgment to us. He wants us to repent. And then they sinned again, and they sinned a third time. And certainly God should judge them by this time, but, but God still didn't judge them. But on that fourth sin, God said, I must judge these people. And we need to understand in our context today that there comes a point in time when God will say to us, enough is enough, I'm not taking it any longer. Not everybody likes to hear about judgment on their enemies. Come on. Let's be honest. Don't we? 
I mean, if, if we hear that our enemies are being judged, we like that. And, and so when this message was delivered condemning these six nations that were most likely shouts of, Amen! Preach it! Tell them! They deserve it! And most of their sins were against Israel. And so the nation of Israel were very happy that they were being judged. But then in chapter 2, verse 4, Amos turned his attention on his people, the nation of Judah. And listen to what he says. The people have sinned again and again. I will not let them go unpunished. And then he says this. He says they have rejected the instruction of the Lord, refusing to obey his decrees. They have been led astray by the same lies that deceived their ancestors. Now these other nations, these pagan nations, they could try and plead ignorance. They could say, we just didn't know any better. But Judah couldn't do that. They were the people of God. They were chosen by God. And yet the Bible says that they rejected the instruction of the Lord. They refused to obey him. You see, it's not that they didn't know what God wanted. They knew exactly what God wanted. And yet they rejected it. They refused to do what God said. And I imagine that the people of Israel, when they heard that Judah was going to be judged, they again said, Amen. Because even though Judah were their brothers in the faith, they were divided. And they were probably saying to themselves, those self-righteous Judeans, they deserve God's judgment. But then, Amos turns his attention on Israel. And he says the exact same thing. He says, the people have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. And then as we read the rest of this message that Amos delivers, we see that the charges against Israel fell into three categories. First, they committed social sins. Instead of using their resources to help others, they were hoarding their resources for themselves. Notice what it says in chapter 2, verse 6. They sell honorable people for silver. And poor people for a pair of sandals. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. In other words, what this is saying is that the honorable people that had something would sell everything they had just to get by. And the poor people, they would even have to give the shoes off of their feet so that they could have food to eat. And so here was a nation that many of the people were living in the lap of luxury, and yet there were other people that were having to sell their shoes just to get by. Notice what it says in Amos chapter 5, verses 7 and, and verse 11. You twist justice, making it a bitter pill to swallow for the poor. You trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. You're taking advantage of people just because you can. And then listen to what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria. You women who oppress the poor and 
crush the needy and who are always calling to your husbands, bring us another drink? How do you think it would go over if I stood up before you and said, listen up, you fat cows? Think that would be offensive? Well, it was offensive to the people who were listening to Amos. I mean, he stood up and he called these women fat cows because they were living in the lap of luxury. They were staying home saying, bring me another drink. While there were people who were poor and needy and they were just overlooking them. You see, while there were some people who lived in luxury, there were others who were being taken advantage of. The judiciary system was dishonest. The government was corrupt. Wealth was gained by injustice and oppression. The rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer and no one seemed to care. It was social sin. And then there was moral sin. Chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. I mean, we don't need to explain that, do you? Do we? I mean, that's pretty clear. That's kind of awful. It's pretty weird. That's kind of bad. It says later on in Amos chapter 3, verse 10, My people have forgotten how to do right. And I mean, when we read about a man and his son sleeping with the same woman, we certainly understand these people don't know right from wrong. They don't know how to do right. And so there were social sins, there were moral sins, and, and then there were spiritual sins. Amos chapter 2, verse 8. At their religious festivals, they lounge in clothing, their debtors put up as security. The house of their God, they drink wine brought with unjust fines. They're coming to church acting like everything is okay when they're taking advantage of people. In Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 23, God says through Amos, I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. They were going to church. Going through the motions. But it was all smoke and mirrors. It, it wasn't coming from a transformed heart. And God called them out on it. Isaiah spoke about this same thing in, in Isaiah 29. He says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship, their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. You see, Israel had abandoned God's word socially, morally, and spiritually. And what made it worse is that they were God's chosen people. In Amos chapter 3, verse 2, it says, From among all the families on the earth, I've been intimate with you alone. That is why I must punish you for all your sins. Of all the people on the earth, God said, I called you out to have a special relationship with you. I've been intimate with you. I've shared my heart with you. And yet you've rejected me and did your own thing. Now, if you're a part of the church, you're probably sitting there right now saying, well, they got what they deserved. 
Here they were judging their neighbors when their sins were just as bad and in reality worse because they knew the Lord. But are we not just as guilty? Do we not do the exact same thing? We love to hear messages about the perversion of Hollywood, the corruption of Washington, the liberal left, and the heinous acts of Muslim terrorists. We shout out our amens, at least in our hearts, but what we need to do is we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves about our own sins. I mean, let's be honest. What are we doing to eradicate poverty and hunger here in America and all around the world? What have we done and what are we doing to provide for the orphans and for the widows? How often do we speak out against human trafficking? And what about racism? The truth is money and the color of our skin can go a long way in our society. And you can take offense at that. But if you take offense at that, it's because you have money. And the color of your skin is not a minority color. All we have to do is watch the news, listen to the reports, and it becomes obvious, it becomes apparent that even in our society today, and we have made so many strides, but even in our society today, with wealth and with the color of our skin comes privilege. And that just not ought to be. And then what about sexual sin? We love to talk about those homosexuals. We love to preach against those who struggle with transgender issues. But then we go home, ladies, and we read our cheap romance novels. Men, we get on our computers and we watch our porn we cohabitate with people before we're married saying, praise Jesus, I love Jesus. We have our affairs. We divorce simply because our needs aren't being met. And if we're confronted with it, if we're talked to about it, we just leave and we find a church that won't say anything. And then we come to church and we sit in our seats. We go to our life groups enjoying the benefits and the blessings of the church with no real life change. We sing the songs like we're at a concert. We critique the message and we leave. Yet nothing has changed. We say things like, I go to church to feel good. No, you don't. You go to church to get right with God. You go to church to get ready to serve him. And don't think that God isn't going to judge us. Remember, judgment begins with the house of God. So what charges is God going to bring against us this morning? What charges is God going to bring against you this morning? Because the truth of the matter is, Sometimes we're just plain blind 
to our own sins. So charges are made. And then as we continue through the book of Amos, we see the corruption is exposed. And so Amos delivers this message. He he preaches this message in chapter 1 through chapter 7. And after he preaches this message, he's confronted by a priest. A preacher in Bethel. I mean, this would have been the guy who was at the biggest, most influential church in Israel. And listen to what it says in Amos chapter 7, verse 10 and following. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is hatching a plot against you right here on your very doorstep. What he is saying is intolerable. He is saying Jeroboam will soon be killed. And the people of Israel will be sent away into exile. Then Amaziah sent orders to Amos. Get out of here, you prophet. Go back to the land of Judah and earn your living by prophesying there. Don't bother us with your prophecies here in Bethel. This is the king's sanctuary and the national place of worship. When Amos shared, the religious leaders of his day didn't want to hear what he was saying. And the same is so often true today. Our our nation is filled with churches and preachers that want to say everything is good, everything is great in America and the church. But I've got news for you. It's not. We don't want to come to a church and, and be confronted by our sins. We want to come to a church and be told about other people's sins so we can be feel good about ourselves. And yet, Paul talked about a day when the people would be just like this. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Here's what Amos said in Amos chapter 8 verse 11. He said, The time is surely coming. When I will summon a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. In other words, there will come a day when the people will long to hear the word of God, but no matter where they look, they won't find anyone proclaiming the word of God. And I'm afraid that we are vastly approaching that day today. Because most people want these feel-good, motivational messages that tell us if you believe it, you can achieve it. And the Word of God may tell us that at times. But the Word of God also tells us so much more. It confronts our sins. It confronts our transgressions. It confronts fronts what is wrong with our life and calls us to repent and make it right. I went by a booth this past week at the Southern Baptist Convention where they did health screening and they did blood tests and checked my cholesterol and my blood pressure and my BMI and all of that stuff. And, and then after they checked all that, they came and they sat down and they They talked to me and they went over my numbers, said, this is good, this is good, this is good. This needs to be a little better. Now, now, can I tell you, if if my blood pressure was sky high and my 
cholesterol was sky high and all of those things. And they would have sat down and said, well, you're doing great. I mean, when I was a heart attack waiting to happen, that wouldn't be good, would it? I mean, I would rather know, man, you better go to the hospital. I don't know if you can make it to the hospital. Get there and get there fast. I'd rather them tell me that than to tell me everything is okay when in reality it's not. And yet, that's what we find in the overwhelming majority of churches scattered all across America today. People who are telling us to feel good about ourselves. When in reality, what we need to do is fall on our knees and fall on our face before a holy God and beg Him to forgive us for our sins. And so we see this confrontation. But then the final thing we see here is that their celebration turns to mourning. We see that in chapters 8 through 9. I want to read two verses to you. Verses 10 and 11 of chapter 8. I've already read part of the latter part of this verse. But listen to what it says. I will turn your celebration into times of mourning and your singing into weeping. You wear funeral clothes and shave your heads to show your sorrow as if your only son had died. How very bitter that day will be. Time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. See, after this confrontation with this so-called priest, Amos had two more visions given to him from God. And in those visions, God was telling the people, you can either continue in your rebellion and be judged, or you can repent and be restored. In chapter 6, we discover that the people were looking forward to the day of the Lord. We talked about the day of the Lord Last week, how the day of the Lord is a day of judgment upon the world. Well, the people of Israel thought the day was, of the Lord was a day when all of their enemies would be judged, but they would be okay. And I want you to listen to what it says in chapter 6. It says, what sorrow awaits you who say, if only the day of the Lord were here, you have no idea what you're wishing for. The day of the Lord will bring darkness, not light. In that day, you will be like a man who runs from a lion only to meet a bear. Escaping from the bear, he leans his hand against a wall in his house, and he is bitten by a snake. That's what you call a bad day, isn't it? You run from a lion, and you're confronted by a bear. You escape the bear, and you're bitten by a venomous snake. That's the day of the Lord for the wicked. You see what God is saying here to Israel and to us is we have a choice. We can continue in our rebellion and face God's judgment. Or we can repent and we can be restored and experience God's grace. Now Israel chose to continue in rebellion. And 30 years. 30 years from the time that Amos delivered this message, Sargon II of Assyria came in, plundered Israel, completely leveled it to the ground, took all of the people but the poorest of the poor, and took them into exile. 
And the truth of the matter is, these people never returned to Israel again. God's judgment. And yet, during all of this, listen to what God says. Amos chapter 5, verse 4. Come back to me and live. He repeats that over and over You see, God is calling us to himself. He is pleading with us. He is saying, open your eyes, open your hearts, turn from your sin, turn to me so that you can live. And yet God gives us a choice. He gave Israel a choice. And he gives us a choice. And and there are some of us here today who are living in rebellion. You know it. The Holy Spirit of God is making it clear to you right now. You have a choice. You can stay right where you are and do nothing. and Walk out these doors and continue in rebellion. And I'm here to tell you that God's judgment is coming. Or you can humble yourself. You can call on the mighty name of the Lord, asking him to forgive you. Repenting, turning from your sin. And you will find grace. And you'll find mercy. And you'll find deliverance. And you'll find hope. And you'll find life, the life that you've always been looking for. That's the choice they had. That's the choice we have today. So what will it be? I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes. And with your head bowed, with your eyes closed. I feel like I've made it as clear as I can. God brought charges against Israel and he's bringing charges against us today. We can get ticked off and upset and say, I'm going to go somewhere where they're going to make me feel good. Continue in our rebellion. Or we can humble ourselves before God and say, I am so sorry, God. Forgive me for my sin, my rebellion. I'm humbly coming to you today asking for your forgiveness, your mercy. And you'll find it. Because that's what happened at the cross. God's judgment met God's mercy and grace was given. And so if you're here and you're ready to say, God, forgive me. You're ready to turn from sin and trust Jesus. Then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right now with a sincere heart. Father God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. I'm tired of living in rebellion. So sorry. I'm leaving it behind. I know you love me. 
Your love was displayed on the cross when your son died for my sins. This morning, trusting you to save me. Come into my heart. Make me brand new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. From this moment on, Jesus, I'm going to live for you because you died for me and you loved me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for answering. Amen.